John 14 in verse 6. Jesus said unto him, it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Let's join together in prayer. Ask God to use his word to help us this morning. Father, thank you so much for this morning and for the, how you want to meet with us and you want to help us from your word. Lord, I ask that you would open up our minds, you would open up our hearts, and you would draw us into your presence. And Lord Jesus, that you would be exalted in the service today. We pray, Lord, as that we would see souls saved here at Calvary Baptist Church. And Lord, we believe that you came that all men might be saved. And Lord, we want to see everybody walking on the straight and narrow path. We want to see everybody on their way to heaven finding faith in Jesus Christ. And Father, recognizing your great sacrifice in sending Jesus to die for our sins, I pray that you would draw us into the cross this morning. Help us to see Jesus. And Lord, help us to be inspired and encouraged to share the message of the gospel. And Father, we're believing you to work and we're asking you to work. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The reason that we live here and serve here, the reason that our family moved here four years ago is because of this truth. Look, if there was all the roads leading to heaven, we wouldn't have needed to come here. If all roads led to heaven, if every church preached the gospel, then there would be no need for more missionaries. But yet missionaries go, and they go out to the mission field to work and to help people, but America's a mission field too. We're in a mission field right here. And my friend, the only way, Jesus is the only way. He is the only way into heaven. There is no other way. And the only way to get in is through his precious blood. All religions that exclude the gospel or add to the gospel are false religions. Maybe you've been around that, right? Hey, if you go to this church, but you also must speak in tongues in order to be saved. Where in the Bible does it say you have to speak in tongues to be saved? Never once. That's trusting in a work to get saved. You, you said you have to get baptized to get saved. What did Jesus say to the thief on the cross? This day thou shalt be with me in paradise... There is one way into heaven. It's not by baptism. It's through faith in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't come to save the religious. He came to die on the cross for the sinner. He said he didn't. He, the angels in heaven rejoice over what? A lot of religious people that gathered in church. The angels in heaven rejoice when the church is full. Is that what he said? The angels rejoice when there's a lot of righteous people gathered together. No, they rejoice when one sinner repenteth. And this summer, as we are going to seek to move forward as a church and continue to win souls for Christ, the goal and the purpose is that souls might be saved by the gospel. Jesus didn't come to save the righteous, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I can't get into heaven by doing good deeds. You can't either. The only way is through the precious blood of the Lamb. There is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.10 says, There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. He says, For all have gone out of the way. It has been well said that the door to hell is paved by good intentions. 
We want souls to be saved, and we strongly believe what Jesus said in John chapter 3. Would you join me over in John chapter 3? Seeing that Jesus said he is the way, let's look at John chapter 3. The book of John really teaches us the gospel. Are you ever like me? Maybe you're talking to somebody and you know that they're not saved and you want to share the gospel with them. You want them to put their faith in Christ and you feel like you are inadequate. You feel like, man, I don't know what to say to them. Let's look through it this morning, what the word of God says. And if you stay in John, it's very simple, the gospel right here. John 3, look in verse 3. This is Nicodemus. By the way, Nicodemus appears several other times in Scripture. And the final time he appears, he's bringing 100 pounds of spices to Jesus to anoint his body before he dies, when he dies. That's the last time you see of Nicodemus. Nicodemus, this man who met Jesus right here, who heard the gospel, heard the way to be saved. I do believe that he did put his faith in Christ because we see him when Jesus dies. We see him there with spices to anoint the body of his Lord. But Jesus says to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Do you know what that word to be born again means? It's not just talking about a physical thing. The word again there literally means from above. From above. I can't produce new life inside myself. Only Jesus can do it. Trying to live the Christian life in your own strength. If you feel like you can't do it in your own strength, that's right, you can't. I can't. We can only do it through the blood and power of Jesus Christ. Jesus said you must be born again. Nothing happens in your life spiritually without a repentance of the sin and putting our faith in Jesus Christ. You know, God has no grandchildren. God has no great-grandchildren. You're not going to get to heaven and say... These are my great-grandchildren. No. The only way to put your faith in Christ is to become a son of God that's by adoption through the blood of Jesus Christ. Parents, we can't get our, heads, our, our kids into heaven by living a good life or by having them pray a prayer. Having them pray. Look, my daughter went through a phase, one of them, a few months ago, where every night she prayed the sinner's prayer on her own. Does that mean she's saved? I think I'd be a fool to tell her that she's saved simply because she prayed a prayer. You understand? But she did come to a place in her heart where she understands what she needs to do. She's very close. And look, God hears the prayers of the repentant heart, and he knows her heart. But I tell you, the heart is tender towards God, and that's what we're looking for. But I don't want to sell her false assurance and say, look, all because you prayed this prayer, now you're saved. That's what happens to a lot of kids. They come to church. We get them down the aisle. We get them to pray a sinner's prayer. Now they're saved. Now they prayed a prayer. God knows what went on in the heart. The heart must be inclined towards Christ. God knows the motives. Jesus said you must be born again. You must be born with life from above. They must be taught how to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The child doesn't just automatically get saved because they grew up around church. 
The child doesn't automatically get saved just because they read the Bible. A child must come to a place where they repent. I am a sinner and I need a savior. And that's the only way any of us get in. Childlike faith. Jesus died for my sins and I put my faith in him. The only way. All roads don't lead to heaven. The only road is the cross. As you can see on the screen, the picture beautifully depicts it for us. The, the way is narrow. The path is narrow. You say God wants all people to be saved. Absolutely. But the way to salvation is only through trusting in the cross alone. Sometimes we trust in the fact that we were a religious person. We grew up in a Christian home. We grew up around the things of faith. Uh, we read the Bible. We prayed. We gave some money, whatever we did. But those good deeds didn't get us to heaven. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. Only through the cross is the way to salvation. Look at what you see. The need to be born from above. The need to be born from above. Verse 3. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be, Jesus says, born Again, born from above. He cannot. There are two Greek words there describing that word cannot. The first part, absolutely certainly. The last part, not. There is absolutely no way to get into heaven except by the first part of the verse, being born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was slightly confused because in verse 4 he says unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus didn't understand. But Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. The need to be born from above. The need. There is a, a desperate need. Look, oftentimes we're trying to get somebody interested in things of faith. And they haven't been born from above yet. The natural man, the Bible says, perceiveth not the things of God because they are foolish to him. You don't want the truth until you have the truth that Jesus Christ living within your heart. Now you desire and seek after God and God begins to draw you to himself. But until somebody actually puts their faith in Christ, their love for this book does not begin to increase in the same way it does afterwards. It's faith that brings the desire and love to read the Bible. You say, I don't understand the Bible. That faith comes by hearing the word of God. And it's by studying his word that we begin to understand it in a deeper way. Just like... Just like when a child begins in school, they don't understand anything. But yet when they finish, they should have an understanding if they've been taught well. The need to be born from above. This is how we see ourselves. I saw this depiction. I thought it was very accurate. Look at Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6. And I'm going to turn there and show you the whole verse, read the whole verse for you. Isaiah 64 and verse 6. The Bible tells us there in regards to our righteousness... And what it looks like. Isaiah 64, in verse 6, the verse reads, But we all, as an unclean thing, we all are as an unclean thing, and our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. We all, the Bible says, 
are as an unclean thing. Look, selfishness is a natural human trait, is it not? We are all sinners at birth. But yet, don't we see ourselves? Sometimes we see ourselves like the depiction on the left-hand side. We see ourselves as righteous. We see ourselves as good. We see ourselves as godly if we do certain things. But God sees us clothed in rags. God sees all the good things we have done as rags. Though I give my body to be burned, Paul writes in Corinthians chapter 13, he says, though I give all my money to feed the poor, yet have not charity, I am nothing. Only by the blood of Jesus and only by the love that God gives does our unrighteousness become righteousness. The world is all about the fashion show. The world is all about impressing. And God says, you know what? That's what you look like on the inside, but by the grace of God, we can be made new. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God? He makes all things new. It's easy to perceive ourselves as righteous, as godly. When you read of heroes of the faith, I encourage you, find biographies, read them, of people who, like George Mueller, people like Praying Hyde, men who prayed down the power of God. You know how they viewed themselves? Oh, I'm really amazing. I had an orphanage and fed millions of kids. No, 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 no. As nothing, he's everything. None of us are anything of ourselves. Anything that we accomplish is simply by the power and virtue that God gave to us. As we saw last week, the virtue, a virtuous woman, and we talked about how Jesus was full of virtue. My friend, the virtue that God puts within us, it came from above. He's the one who created us, and if we ever think that we're anything because of ourselves, he's the one who gave us the power and the ability to be who we are. If you become a successful person, it's because God gave you the ability. It's not because you gave it to yourself, but yet we see ourselves as being sometimes righteous or good, or we want to try to aspire to be a certain way and dignified. But God says, no, that's the way you are, as filthy rags. He says, we are, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. All of our attempts to be good, all of our attempts to be, do right, are as filthy rags. And it's only when we see our sin like it is. You say, it was just one lie. Whatever it was, it still nailed Jesus to the cross. It still was part of that. We were all there. We were part of that in terms of crucifying our Lord because he bore all of our sins. The sky turned dark when Jesus was on the cross. That's how we see ourselves, but God sees us. The other, so there's a need to be born again. We need to be cleaned up. We need the grace of God. And when you're helping somebody get saved, and when you're trying to witness to somebody, when we're trying to share the gospel there are simple truths that we can help to bring others to Christ. And maybe you're here in the room and you've not yet put your faith in Christ. Maybe you've prayed a sinner's prayer, but maybe you've not yet been born again, my friend. We often can see ourselves. I remember when I got saved when I was 13, I thought I had, I had even, if I'm not mistaken, David, I had already preached at a young men preaching night before I got saved. And I thought I was pretty good stuff. But then God said, you know what? 
I want you to come down and get, come forward. And when the preacher called the invitation and I came forward that night, I remember walking past about 20 of my peers from church and coming out the aisle and coming forward. You know how embarrassing I was thinking about? I was thinking about it. Wow, like, what are they going to think about me? But you know what? It's far more embarrassing to reject Christ and to one day him to say, I never knew you. When I understood that, I said, wow, I don't want to wait another day. I'm putting my faith in Christ today. And because I saw myself as a pretty good person. It's easy to see. I read my Bible every day, but that did not make me a righteous person. But by putting my faith in Christ, his righteousness becomes yours. Amen. It's through faith alone, the need to be born again. The clear identification, secondly, this morning, the clear identification. Verse 6 says, that which is born of What does he say? Flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. My friend, there is a clear distinction. I I had a debate with a gospel preacher not too long ago about this very truth to which he believed adamantly that when somebody becomes born again that there's no change. I have a problem with that. If people get saved and there's no change, then where's God in the midst of that? We're denying the very power of God. There is a clear identification. No, my friend, it's not by just improving the life. He says that which is born of flesh is flesh. There's a clear distinction And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He says there's a clear distinction by somebody that's led by the Holy Spirit of God and somebody that's led by their own sinful flesh. And it ought to be different, my friend. You say, what happens when you get saved? You still got the flesh, but the Spirit now, we surrender to the Spirit and the Spirit leads us. And now no longer led by the flesh, we surrender to the Holy Spirit because you've got a new person living inside. It's the Holy Spirit of God when you put your faith in Christ. And the problem is sometimes we're trying to do the Christian life. We're trying to walk. We're trying to live. We're trying to read the Bible. We're trying to go to church. We're trying to be righteous. We're trying to do certain good deeds. We're trying to uh, behave the way we ought to and, and live in a way that pleases God. But yet, my friend, there's been no clear identification. There's been no change. We've not put our faith in Christ yet. We're still trusting in the fact that we're a good person. And the only way to heaven is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Clear identification that which is born of the flesh is flesh we live in a society that doesn't understand identification anymore right but you know yesterday at the yard sale here we are selling stuff and a couple came through and let's just put it this way their genders were very clear to identify. They were both female, and they were holding hands in front of my daughters, okay? I'm marching right through there. But the humorous thing I find about that, and look, I have compassion towards, and I think we ought to have sinners in church and everything. But my friend, pride is a sin, okay? You're not better than somebody else all because you don't indulge in that kind of lifestyle. But still, one of them had to dye their hair blue, and the other one had to dye their hair pink. Wonder why. Wonder why. Right? 
they still had to, they weren't both wearing pink. And the one that was trying to identify as a woman didn't wear blue. She wore pink. Why? Because they wanted to make a clear distinction. They cut their hair different. One had a crew cut. The other one had it like they do it. And my friend, it was clear what they were trying to imitate, but it was also clear what they were from birth, the way God created them. And you know, 100 years from now when we all die, they will never doubt our gender when they dig up our bones, if they ever do. The bones are different. The structure is different, created in the image of God. A clear identification. You say, what should we do if our friend is involved in that, love, in that lifestyle? Love them and not condemn them. The same way that you love somebody who's involved in drunkenness. The same way that you love somebody who's involved in adultery. You love the sinner, but you don't, condemn, you don't condone the sin. Hallelujah. A clear identification. It's amazing to me. The world understands identification. Because they they're playing these mixed up identification games right now about everything. But they still are identifying themselves. Still want to identify themselves. The most of us can distinguish variety in life. Let's see if you can identify this, and I need your help right now this morning, all right? Could anybody tell me on the left, could you all tell me real quick, together in unison, what brand of coffee is on the left? Ready? How did you all know that? What brand of coffee is on the right? My wife even knew that, and she doesn't drink coffee, and I don't have Maxwell House in the house. It's clear identification. When you're born again, my friend, it's clear as night and day. There's a desire to want to do the will of God. There's a desire to want to help those who are doing the will of God. Do we have to give to the missionaries? No, because we love Jesus, we'll help them, okay? I mean, good grief. If we, we love, whatever we love, we will do. Uh, it's like going and playing golf, saying, do I, have to play? do I have to pay to play? Go to Six Flags. Do I have to pay to go in Six Flags? We understand, and when we love something, we will automatically want to do it, okay? There's a clear identification, okay? And those products, you know them. And by the way, I like Folgers, but I do not like the inflation on it. $11, right? 10 something. I saw you, you know, you're like paying 10 bucks. It was six something the other day, you know, just a few months ago. It was six. Ridiculous, all right? Here's something else identification. Tell me what's on the right. What kind of tree is that? Say it together. What is it? It's an oak tree. Is that an old tree or is that a young tree? What kind of tree is it? So it's a fresh tree. It's a young sapling. We all know that. We can see it in the picture. And what's on the other side? Tell me, everybody. What is it? it oh, you guys are nervous. What is it? Dead wood? Rotten wood. All right. I know it's hard to identify. That's in your house. You better get it out. Rotten wood. If you went to Lowe's, or Home Depot, or the lumber yard, which is a better place to go now. The private mill, it's a little cheaper sometimes. But if you went there and bought wood this week, would you buy a piece of wood that looked like that garbage right there? 
Hey, you want to build a new barn out of that, right? You want to build something out of that? No. Hey, why don't you pay the overpriced price for that piece of junk? No, it is rotten. We can tell it is rotten. But if you plant the oak tree can about tree in about 100 years, your grandchildren will be able to cut it down and make something nice out of it. Um, to the Lord Terry. There's a clear identification between the two. And you see, we may think that we are one or the other, but God knows. And a spirit-filled believer will know the difference. It's clear identification, my friend. If you have Jesus Christ living inside of your heart, there's new life. If Jesus Christ is not living inside, there's rottenness. Why? Now look, can a Christian let rot in their tree? Of course. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. There's a clear distinction. And what we're trying to do sometimes is make rotten wood look like a new tree. And it's impossible. I'm going to start trying to read my Bible. I want to get in the word of God. I want to go to church. I want to raise my family right. I want to love Jesus. I want to do this. I want... We can't in our own strength. You need the power of God. It's impossible to do without the power of God. Now look, you might be a Christian, but you might be a carnal Christian. You might need to repent of that. Okay? But if you're a spirit-filled believer and you have the Holy Spirit living within you, there's a clear distinction, a clear identification. Those who are saved have a clear identification mark. They're born from above, and they have signs of new birth. What do people say when there's a baby that's just been born? They call it a what kind of baby? A, a newborn? Or they say, see the new baby. I don't know why they call it a new baby, because a baby's a baby. And if it's a baby, it's automatically new. You know that, because it's a baby. Then there's a toddler. But they call it a new baby, right? Well, it's a newborn, right? It's a little bit younger. But new baby. There's a clear identification mark. There's some young infants that we saw yesterday and some babies that were quite young. And it was clear that they were just born. When you put your faith in Christ, there ought to be signs that you've been born again by the Spirit of God. God leaves identification marks. Thirdly, this morning, let's look at the entrance into heaven. Verses 15 down through. Jesus says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Some of you have never heard of the doctrine of Calvinism. Okay? The doctrine of Calvinism, adding to the Bible. Okay? You don't need to define the Bible by your own terms. Jesus said, whosoever will may be saved, not just the elect. But yet he knows whosoever will be saved, and so he knows who are the elect. Okay? It's an understanding of who are the elect. The elect are those who will be saved. But every person can be saved. Yet God knows who will be saved. So because God in his omniscience knows absolutely everything, then he can know who's going to reject him and who's going to trust him. And the entrance to heaven is made open for whosoever will may come and drink of the water of life. John chapter 3 is a beautiful passage. John chapter 4, Jesus meets with the woman at the well, tells her, drink of this water, the water that I shall give you will come into you. He says, it'll be a wellspring of life. And she says, 
Jesus, does that mean I need to keep drawing, drawing water out of this well? My parents have came here. My family's came here. He says, no, you must. You need to drink of the water that I give you, and that's eternal life. And she began to understand that and sent him back to preach to her family. The entrance to heaven, that whosoever believeth in him, he says, should not perish but have eternal life. Don't ever assume, especially now in our culture, that people understand this verse. Have you figured this out? People don't even know John 3.16 nowadays. You talk to the average person aged 50 and above who's not been around the church much. I mean, 50, sorry, 50 and under. Has been, not been around church much. They probably don't even know this verse, John 3.16. Because if you didn't learn the verse in church, you probably didn't. It's not taught in the home usually. For God, we have like two or three generations that haven't really heard this verse. For God so loved. Aren't you thankful God loved? You know, the reason why our society is in absolute chaos um, is because we do not understand the love of God, which, by the way, is not tolerance of sin. But when we love him, we begin to fear him and follow him. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not, he says, perish, but have everlasting life. God didn't give his son so that people could still continue to live the life their own way. He didn't give his son so that people would still perish. He says, no, I don't want anybody to perish. I want everybody to go through the gate. I want everybody to get into heaven. It is God's will that our families be saved. If you're thankful for that, would you say amen? It's God's will that all would be saved, but not all are going to accept him. You can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make him drink. If we're still trusting in any good work we've done, we must cast that aside and fully trust in Jesus Christ alone. It's faith in his finished work. It's the only way into heaven. See, salvation is grabbing onto the rope and holding on and not letting go. Look in Matthew chapter 7 in verse 13. Jesus explains what this all is about. Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. Jesus tells us in the passage earlier how to pray. He covers really everything. And he later on, in, in chapter 6, he even covers seeking first his kingdom. And in chapter 7, verse 13, Enter ye in at whatever gate you want to go in. Is that what he says? He says the straight gate. For wide is the gate... Broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. So Jesus says a lot of people are leading a life outside of the gospel of Christ. Because straight is the gate, narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be which find it. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus was a man who understood the word of God. He was a man who had studied the law. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a leader among his peers. Yet Nicodemus did not understand the gospel. And when Jesus began to teach him the gospel in John chapter 3, he began to understand what it meant to be born from above. To be born again. The entrance to heaven is only through faith in Jesus Christ. Enter ye in, he says, at the straight gate. He says there's two paths, there's two roads, and it's easy to get on the wrong road because he says a lot of people. It's a broad road which leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Why do they call it the mainstream media? Okay, because a lot of people believe it. Um, 
But I think people are starting to learn. By the way, the next, I will tell you, there will be a new crisis in six months. I don't know what it's going to be. But we need to quit believing every single lie they feed at us and quit thinking everything they're sending to us and quit trying to follow every divisive thing they're throwing at us, right? Trying to get us to divide over which countries we like. Trying to get us to divide now over the abortion issue, over just a leaked document, which we don't even know if the whole thing was just bogus. We don't even know, right? But once again, every few months, they're throwing something out at us to try to get us divided, my friend, and get us confused. You look, don't believe all their stories. Don't get caught up in all their drama. What we do know is the truth. And I don't know if what they're saying is true or not. I don't know if the Supreme Court justices said those things or not. I don't know. I wasn't there. Neither do you know. Okay? But yet they're trying to get us divided over things. You say, why? Simply so that we're distracted and so we can be controlled. Like one of those little mannequin things on little, they pop it on strings. They want us to just be pulled around and controlled. And if your mind is controlled by the media, it's impossible to really let it be controlled and guided by the word of God. Because they are following a different blueprint. The word of God leads you to salvation. And Jesus wants all men to be saved. And in these last days, the Lord wants us to lead others to Christ. Look, it's, it's difficult times, yes. But right now, I think more people are receptive to the gospel than ever before. Because people are getting nervous. They're seeing the signs of the times. And even men at the lumber yard this last week when I stopped by, and they know the gospel. They said it's the end times. Haven't been in church in decades, but they know the gospel. And they know, look, isn't that the way Jesus said it was going to be? And they started reciting off Bible verses to me. They know. They know what the word of God says. And look, the word of God is true. And I think you're going to see some people that haven't been in church in a long time are going to start to come back to church. Why? Because they're seeing the time is near. They're seeing Jesus is about to return. They're seeing wickedness is abounding. And my friend, they're seeing, wow, the way is really clear. There's a clear path to heaven. And there's a lot of other roads that are leading nowhere. They're leading to destruction. Enter, Jesus says, in at the straight gate. Then he clarifies in verse 15, beware of false prophets. Which come unto you in how, whose clothing? Sheep's clothing. Yeah, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. He says you watch out because you could be deceived. Any of us could be deceived. He says don't be deceived. There are false prophets. The entrance to heaven is straight and narrow. And Jesus is the only way. Never assume a soul is saved. Prayers don't save. Faith in Christ is the only way that saves. And knowledge about the Bible won't save a soul. Haven't you found this true? Maybe you haven't figured, maybe you haven't found this out yet in your life. But sometimes the more somebody knows the Bible, the more hardened they become against the gospel. So educated about the Bible. That's why, by the way, be very careful what university and college you go to. Because sometimes the professors there are actually not even believers in the Bible. They do not believe that this Bible was written by God. They do not believe that Jesus is the only way. They're 
philosophers, they're not trusting in this book. Sometimes that's the case. Beware where you go. Beware where you're surrounded. It is said that many children go off to school and go off to college. They've been raised in church. They go off to college and university. And in the university, that's where they get come up. They leave the faith completely. They abandon it. You know why? Because the professors seem to make a lot of sense and the preacher didn't. And so that's why we need to be very clear that in the home, we reinforce the Bible. And continue to educate yourself around the Word of God. Because what we hear in church on Sunday is very little compared to what we should be doing during the week. Okay? These, do you look in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says when we wake up, get up out of bed. When we're laying down throughout the day, we're supposed to be talking of the Word of God with our children. And I believe if we do that, by the grace of God, they will be saved. I didn't hear very much of an amen on that one. If we teach them the Word of God faithfully... By the grace of God, they will be saved. It's God's grace alone that saves the soul. Faith operates in the realm of the unknown. And it's impossible to understand the Bible without the Spirit of God. Look over in Luke 16 as we close this morning. Luke 16. Look at what Jesus told. A parable he gave. Luke 16, in verse 22. The Bible says, And it came to pass that the beggar died, and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. Look, death is a very sad thing. It's a very morbid thing. This week I got to visit with somebody who is not saved. Tears coming down his eyes as he knows that his days are numbered. But you know what he's crying about? That he can't do what he used to be able to do. And he can't do much with his money. It's all about his money. It's been about his money his entire life. But you know what? All his wealth cannot buy him one moment on this earth. And with tears in his eyes, he wept about his feebleness, knowing that he has no power. The doctors can't do one thing for him right now. He's on every medicine under the sun. But he knows that his days are numbered. He's so certain of that that he's beginning to make drastic changes in things that he's doing in his life and such knowing that it's not till long before he'll be in the nursing home himself or he'll die. He's fearful of that death. Why? Because he's rejected Christ and he knows in his heart there's nothing he can do right now. My friend, pray for me that God might open that door. A couple of times this individual has opened up to me. A couple of times they've asked me about eternal life and I, I pray they'll do that again soon. And that we'll be able to have a deeper conversation. They might get saved before they die. Because they're this close to passing. They know. They know and they're afraid of death. Why? Because of this truth. People can joke and use the word hell all day long. 
But when they're on their deathbed, they realize they can't do one thing to bring their soul back. The rich man died and was buried. And in hell lift up his eyes, verse 23, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. This was before Jesus had died on the cross. In my understanding of scripture, there was a place that God had in the center of the earth, as I understand it, where souls who had put their faith in the fact that the Messiah would come were kept. You say, was it in the center of the earth? That's where I believe it was. But in heaven, I'm going to find out, okay? I know there was Abraham's bosom, and I know that Jesus, when he died on the cross, the Bible says he, has, he descended into the earth and took captivity captive. And he also took his blood to the Father's throne. In those three days when he was in the grave, remember God can pass through walls, because Jesus did later, okay? He took those souls to heaven, I believe, and his own blood, and put it before the Father on the mercy seat in heaven. But my friend, in this passage, this is before, obviously the time before Christ has died. And this man can see those who are not suffering, and he himself is suffering in torment. Can you imagine being in a place you can't get out, and there's no way out? It's like being in prison, except for there's no way out of escape. And it says, and he cried, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. But he says in verse 25, But Abraham said, Son, remember, thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but he is comforted, and thou art tormented. My friend, there's no way once a soul has died, there's no way to get out of hell. There's a whole church that teaches in their doctrine about something called purgatory. And if you pay them enough money, what a scam, right? Your loved ones might just happen to get out of hell. Now, how does that work? Do they give the money to God? They have created a complete deceptive system that is adding to the gospel and saying if you pay the certain money, then your loved one will get out of hell. Horrible and imposterous teaching Jesus said there will be false teachers, and that doctrine of purgatory is a false doctrine, the doctrine itself. The need to be born from above is made clear when we realize everyone will spend eternity in one of two places, in heaven or in hell. And some, some of you this morning in the room, you've not yet put your faith in Christ. You've not yet been born again. You say, Pastor, what do I need to do? God doesn't want you to get embarrassed. He wants you to get saved. God, God wants you to be born again. You say, if I get saved, everybody's going to... They're going to judge me. No, no, my friend. They better rejoice with you. If they don't, if they don't rejoice with you, I'll scold them, okay? <laughs> if they don't rejoice with you, because the Bible says the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner that repented. So if you put your faith in Christ and somebody doesn't get excited about that, maybe they need to get saved, okay? So don't you worry at all about them. But you think about the fear of man brings a snare. Who's that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be saved. Jesus said, ye must be born again. There's two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. The entrance into heaven is straight, it is narrow, and Jesus said there's only one way in. Through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ is the only way. Light and darkness are opposed. Truth and lies cannot coexist. 
And when you let Jesus Christ in, he doesn't just come in to be added to our life. He comes to take up residence in our heart and become our source of life. He doesn't want to just be a part of our life. My friend, Jesus does not want to be added to your life and be some burden you drag. Oh, I have to go to church. I have to be righteous. I have to, be, I have to, I have to serve the Lord. I have, to, I have to give to him. I have to do these things. It's, all, it's a duty. I have to. I have to. Good people do that. No, my friend, it's because he's inside you want to do everything that pleases him. Because he gave his all for you, you want to give every bit of energy you can for him. Because it's all about him anyways. Who are you getting your life from today? Children of God depend upon their heavenly father. They rely upon his grace. Jesus said he must be born again. This morning, if you're in the room and you've never put your faith in Christ, you say, what do I need to do? You come to a place where you repent. You turn from your own way and you put your faith in Christ. And you trust in the fact that he, is, he died on the cross, he was buried, and he rose again for your sins. You say, what if I already prayed a prayer? My friend, if in your heart you have doubts, you need to come to the cross and get it settled. Okay? We don't want to live a life full of doubts. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says he gives his Holy Spirit and it identifies with our spirit that we're sons of God. You read 1 John. This week, I challenge you, if you're doubting, if your heart, you say, Pastor Dan, you know what? I don't want to talk to you today. I'm a little nervous. I'm a little, I'm a little skeptical. I'm not sure. I'm a little... Why don't you take and just make a commitment to read 1 John this week, okay? It's a short book. And that book is a very clear book about how to know for sure you're saved. Would you read through 1 John? 1 John this week to yourself. And would you take a moment and read that? And then would you come find me next week? Find my wife or lady. If you want to make a decision today, you're welcome to do that. My friend, if you do not know Christ, you need to get it settled at the cross. The thief on the cross put his faith in Christ. He said, Lord, remember me today. Jesus saved him at that very moment. It's a moment of faith. You get saved not by praying a sinner's prayer. You get saved by coming to a place of faith. And the problem is a lot of times we get people to pray a prayer, but we didn't actually bring them to Christ who saves them. That's why we don't do prayers at the door with people, okay? We don't go around here and just stick our foot in the door and say, you want to get saved? All right, we'll pray with you. So, and then we can say we got 12 people saved. No, we're not going to go do that kind of stuff. It's nonsense uh, to go around and seek to do that just to boast numbers. When I go to somebody's door and God's convicting their heart, there's a lot of things that transpire. Their phone rings. Their child comes and interrupts our conversation. A lot of things happen in the middle of that conversation when it's clear God's working because the devil does not want that person to get saved. And you know what? You keep loving that person. You keep praying for that person. And you keep seeking to share the truth of the gospel with them. How many times did somebody have to share the gospel with you before you got saved? And we have to keep sharing the gospel, keep believing God. And many of these who got saved, even in this room, you got saved simply by hearing a sermon. And during the message, your faith, you put your faith in Christ. Before the invitation was given, you already put your faith in the gospel. And if that's you, and God's already working in your heart, and you want to trust Christ today, you can do that today. And if you've... If you, uh, if you are saved and you say, you know what, I want to help lead others to Christ. Why don't you ask God to help you to use these truths to lead somebody to the master. Just pray and say, Lord, would you help me? I want to lead somebody else to you. I want to see somebody get saved this summer. I want to see somebody get saved this year. Maybe that's your heart today. You'll ask God to help you with that. Let's stand together for a moment of invitation. And as we're going to stand and we're going to pray. We're going to ask God to help us. And I invite you Christians in the room to come forward and ask God to help you to lead somebody to Christ in just a moment. To take a moment to physically move 
just like a lost person needs to physically move and put their faith in Christ, they need to change and they need to repent. Maybe as a Christian, you just want to say, Lord, you know, I know I ought to be about the kingdom business and I want to be about that. I want to be a witness this week. Give me boldness. Help me at the gas station. Talk to people. Help me wherever I go to be able to share the gospel. Give a tract. Grab one of those. Give those to somebody. Help me to be a witness, Lord. I'm a little nervous about me. Help me. Maybe that's you and God's just speaking to you about that. And you want to ask the Lord for help today. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, right here, as the piano is going to begin to play in just a moment, maybe just in the quietness of this moment, you'd lift your hand and you just say, you know what, Pastor Dan, would you pray for me? I'm a Christian, but I need and I want to lead somebody to Christ. And I want the Lord to help me with this. I want to see somebody get saved. And that's me. I want to see somebody get saved. And I need God's help to do it. We all need God's help. Amen. Maybe that's you and you just lift your hand up. Pastor, pray for me that God would give me boldness that I might be able to lead somebody to Christ. That God would give me boldness that I might be able to lead somebody to Christ. Maybe you're here in the room and you've not yet put your faith in Christ. Maybe you need to get that settled. Look, I'm not going to call your name out. I'm not going